Before we get into today's broadcast, I want to let you know about a special gift I have for you. I am so excited that we are walking together through the book of Hebrews. Friends, we're going chapter by chapter, phrase for phrase, sometimes word for word. And I want to send you a Hebrews Bible journal. This would allow you to take your own sermon notes as we study together. You can journal your prayers, and I know this is going to be a great complement to your study through the book of Hebrews with us. If you go to my website, awakenedtograce.com, find the Hebrews Bible Journal link, and when you give a generous gift of any amount, then I will send you this Hebrews Bible Journal that I know is going to enrich your walk with the Lord and your study of Scripture. Does everyone have a guardian angel? Do angels have a predominant role in today's world? Well, my name is Chad Roberts, and I'm your Bible teacher today on this episode of Awaken to Grace, and we are in part two of a great sermon called Jesus, Sender of Angels. We have been studying in Hebrews chapter 1, and the point that the author is making is that Christ is not an angel, in fact, he is far superior to the angel. He's more excellent than the angels. In reality, the scriptures say in Hebrews 1, he's the creator of the angels. And the angels, in fact, worship him. So we're going to answer questions in today's episode. Should you ever pray to an angel? Should you ever sing or worship an angel? The scriptures emphatically say no. So we're going to answer many questions today about the role of angels, and we're going to see the supremacy, the sovereignty of God, and how he, how he, Christ, is far superior than the angels. Satan is not omnipotent. Satan is is not all-powerful, he's not omniscient, he's not all-knowing. Oops, that's all right. Say, that one's discounted. Uh, he's, not, uh, he's not omnipresent. He cannot be everywhere at one time. Satan is actually quite limited compared to the Lord Jesus Christ. So who is the enemy of Christ? Well, it certainly would be Satan and his Kingdom of darkness, according to Ephesians 6, according to Colossians 2, uh, 14, 15. Uh, Christ has disarmed the rulers and authorities and the principalities and put them to open shame when he died upon the cross. Amen. He's triumphed over them. Nations, kings, rulers who would plot against the will of God. Psalm chapter 2. Those are the enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sinners who refuse the lordship of Jesus. Sinners who embrace their sin and neglect so great a salvation and neglect the grace of God. Those are the enemies 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're listening to me today and you've never truly repented of your sin, you've never made the Lord Jesus Christ truly Lord of your life, I want you to hear the gospel today. You are an enemy of God. In your state, in your current condition, where you are uh, on your own with your own sin, you'll stand, you'll give an account before God, and as of right now, you are an enemy of God. But let me tell you the good gospel news. Christ came to remove the hostility. Christ came to reconcile you to the heart of God. And that's why Christ says of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except by me. And you can't go to God through your own merit. You can't go through your own goodness. You can't go through your own morality. You can't go through your own kindness. You can't go through your own good deeds. There is nothing that can bring you on the pathway to God other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And to reject him is to reject salvation. And that means you are an enemy of God until Christ has reconciled you and brought you nigh. Who else is an enemy of Christ? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 teaches death is the final enemy to be destroyed. Amen. Now, even though Christ has overcome these things, even though Christ has already triumphed over Satan, although Christ has already defeated death by the resurrection of himself, even though Christ has already defeated sin in a way that here we are in the age of grace and you can accept the Lord Jesus Christ and be transformed. Even though Christ reigns supreme over nations, kings, and rulers, These things still exist in our world. Evil still exists. Satan is still the God of this world. So why does God allow this to continue? Do you know why? Because we are in what is called the age of grace. We are in the church age. And Christ is seated In the heavenlies, he is seated at the right hand of God. His ministry is the fact that he makes intercession for his people. Christ is praying for you at this very moment. Christ walks among his church. Christ empowers his church. Christ gives grace to his church. Christ is doing everything that we need because he is the head of his body, the church, and he is well involved in our lives. But when it comes to this world, Satan is the god of this world. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. Why? Because Christ has not yet delivered up the kingdom to the Father. See, now the kingdom of God exists right now, but in the realm of faith. So what does that mean? That means that while Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, do you know where the kingdom of God is truly exercised? It's exercised in your faith. 
So what that means is next Sunday when someone who has emotional hurts or someone who has mental illness or someone who suffers physical disease or addiction or whatever the case, when they come forward and they say, I want to be prayed over, I want someone to lay hands on me, I want this broken off of my life, I'm going to walk in God's healing, I'm going to walk in God's wholeness. Do you know what that is? That is the kingdom of God being exercised. When someone who is eaten up with bitterness, when they choose forgiveness and they choose to let go of that bitterness and they let go of anger, you know what that is? That's the kingdom of God at work. When someone repents of their sin and they trust in Jesus, that is the kingdom of God in action on this earth. Amen. And that's why the scriptures say, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. See, it's happening right now, but it's happening in the realm of faith. But it's not always going to be that way. What's going to happen when the harpazo, when the trump of God sounds? What's going to happen when God snatches his church away? What's going to happen when the rapture takes place? Christ will no longer be seated at the right hand of God. Christ will come and he will receive his church. And then what happens according to Revelation 4 and 5? Christ will be given the deed to the earth. Christ will be given his inheritance. And what is it strapped in? It's strapped in seven seals. And when he breaks those seals, what happens? The seven-year tribulation is triggered. And do you know what the purpose of the seven-year tribulation is? Revelation 11. That the kingdoms of this world might become the kingdom of our God. Amen? And according to 1 Corinthians 15, Christ will deliver up to the Father the kingdom. Amen? And then the kingdom of God, the millennial reign, is no longer going to be exercised in the realm of faith. Christ will establish his throne physically literally upon this earth and the earth shall be his amen and we're going to rule and reign with him as kings and priests unto our god amen <laughs> until until i make your enemies a footstool for your feet friends there's more to god's agenda and, and why is that so important? Because when you and I are watching all hell break loose and you and I are watching our, our society just absolutely break down and we're watching the evil abound in this world and we're saying, how much worse can it get? Let me tell you, God is sovereign. God is in control and God isn't finished. And God will have the final say. That's why you shouldn't live for this world. And you shouldn't build your own little kingdom in this world. Oh, I cannot pastorally. I cannot tell you strong enough. Do not build your kingdom on this earth. Look to the kingdom of God. And friends, that's exactly why Jesus said, seek first the what? The kingdom. And then all these other things you need in life, oh, they're going to be added to you. But you seek first the kingdom. Do you live for the kingdom of God? Do you live for the kingdom? Because, friends, it's coming. And I want you to be ready for it. 
I want you to have your eyes on it. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father only until this church age is completed. And after this church age, from the day of Pentecost to the rapture of the church, and when this church age is wrapped up and it comes to its full completeness and the times of the Gentiles are done, friends, you know what's going to happen? He's going to come off that throne. He's going to come get his bride. He's going to come get his church. And the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our God. And every enemy of Christ, every nation, every king, every ruler that plots against him, every sinner that the Bible calls an earth dweller, and death itself will be utterly destroyed. Now, look at verse 14. Now the author is going to shift from this focus on Christ as sovereign, as supreme, as creator, as ruler, as sitting, as dominion. And now he's going to shift from Christ sitting in his power and authority to now the angel serving. So let's examine this a little bit. Verse 14, are they... Not all. Now, that makes me pause right there. Are they not all? Who's he talking about? He's talking about the ranks of angels. He's talking about the heavenly host, the armies of the Lord, the host of heaven is what the scriptures call them in the Old Testament. Angelic beings. Well, that makes me ask this first question. Well, how many angels are there? You know how many angels the scriptures teach there are? It teaches, I think in Hebrews 12, you'll have to Google it for me. Hebrews 12, I believe, is the reference. It says that angels are innumerable. That's how many angels there are. Innumerable. The scriptures identify them in Revelation as myriads upon myriads. Now, why is that important? Because in Bible days, in this ancient Greek language, myriad was the highest conceivable numeric value. So when it says that there are myriads, the highest number that can even be conceived, well, there's myriads upon myriads. Friends, there's more angels than you and I could ever calculate. <laughs> That's how many there are. And Scripture says, are they not all ministering spirits? I want you to note this about angels. They are not flesh and blood. They are spirits. They are holy and they are eternal beings created by God. They're spirits. That's why angels have remarkable abilities. That's why they can transfer between heaven and earth. You remember when Daniel prayed and Gabriel was in what the scripture says, swift flight? And he came from heaven down to earth to him. That's why when Jacob had his dream, remember he saw angels ascending, descending between the heavens and the earth? Why? Because they're not flesh and blood. Now, according to the scriptures, angels can take on the form of a human. Ask me how to break all that down, and I don't know how. <laughs> but many examples in the scriptures, they do. You know, demons do not have that ability. That's why demons have to possess someone. You'll never, ever find in the scriptures angels doing that. 
They don't have to. Demons do not have that ability. So they must possess someone very different, far, far more limited than what angels are. Angels are incredibly strong. Angels have the ability, when commanded by God, they can slip right into our dreams. Remember how they communicated with Joseph, the husband of Mary? Twice an angel told him what to do concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Angels have remarkable abilities. But let me ask this question. Do they have abilities on their own? Do angels do whatever they want to do? No. They are on assignment by God. Note what the scriptures say. Are they not all, all how many? Well, innumerable. Ministering spirits are not governing spirits. They're not in places of authority. Christ is the authority. They are ministers. Christ is sovereign. Christ is sitting. They are serving. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth? They don't do whatever they want to do. They're commissioned by God. They are sent out by God himself. Isn't that something else? They are sent out by God for what purpose? Oh, now here's where the text gets very interesting. They are sent out for the sake of us. To serve God by serving us. I hope that as I share with this for the next few moments. That you will feel the weightiness of this matter the way I have felt it this week. Preparing for this. I want you to think of the ramifications of this. I want you to think of the enormity of what this text is teaching us. That an angel who is eternal, who is not flesh and blood, who is holy, who is in the very presence of God in heaven would come to this earth to serve the needs of people like me and you. I want you to think for a moment from an angel's perspective. If you, had, if you were an angel and you had the choice to be in the actual presence of God Almighty or be down in this earth filled with sin and selfishness and all that this earth is, where would you rather be? I don't think I'd be very excited if I were an angel and God said, listen, I need you to leave my throne room and I need you to go help Chad Roberts right now. I wouldn't be real excited about that. I think I'd say, God, do you really, uh, do you know how bad his attitude can get? (laughs) Did you see him last week? Did you see his attitude? I'd rather stay right here. Why do angels come and serve us? Why? In Matthew chapter 4, verse 11, when Satan tried to tempt Christ in the wilderness and Christ overcame him, at the end of that great temptation, at the end of those 40 days of fasting, the Bible says that the angels came and they ministered to the Lord Jesus. Do you know what it means 
for the angels to come and minister to you and to me. It shows our oneness with the Lord Jesus Christ. That as they would minister to Christ in his flesh, so they minister to his redeemed. It shows the oneness of the family of God. Did you know that the angels are part of God's family? In my view, they are. They're not blood-bought. They're not blood-redeemed, but I believe they're a family of God. Do you know why I believe that? Because in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 15, you should write that down. Ephesians 3.15 says that God is the father of all the families named in both heaven and earth. What does that mean? I used to think it meant like generational things, like all of my family from, you know, centuries and centuries ago that I don't know my lineage and I don't know my ancestry. I guess those who are in heaven, I guess that means he's Lord of them and I guess, you know, like my descent. I don't know. No, no, I don't think that. After really understanding the ranks of angels, I think what the scriptures mean by that, that he is the father of the heavenly families as well as the earthly families, I think what he's saying is angelic beings as well as humanity, we are the family of God. And see, when you go into Revelation, as we so picked it apart, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, what do you constantly see in Revelation? You see the saints of God and the angels of God worshiping together, singing together, serving together. Hallelujah. We are the family of God. But what's different between humanity and angels? Let me tell you something that Perhaps this will blow you away. We outrank them. What do you mean? We outrank them. Angels are created beings. They are holy unto the Lord. They are eternal. They are immensely strong. They are not flesh and blood. They can... uh, What do you mean we outrank them? They're not blood-bought. They're not redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. They are not kings and priests unto the Lord. They are not sons of God. They are called sons of God in Job, but that's a different matter. They're not blood-bought. What what, so, Chad, what, what do you mean? An old commentary that I was listening to this week gave a wonderful analogy. This commentary was written in the 1920s. And the man who wrote it gave this remarkable, stunning example. I thought it was masterful. At the time of his writing, Queen Elizabeth was an infant. Didn't she just pass away last year? How old was she? Anybody remember? 90-something? 91? This commentary, nearly 100 years old. And the example that he gave, listen to this. This is remarkable. Here, Queen Elizabeth, at the time of the writing, was only an infant. But yet she had many, many servants. Now, those servants were greater than her in age, in maturity, in strength, 
in wisdom and capabilities. Oh, yes, they were much. But the little infant, she outranked them all because she was of royal stock. Do you see the difference? Why do we outrank the angels? Because we are of royal blood. We are a royal priesthood because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And just as many servants attended to the infant Queen Elizabeth, so the angels minister and they help and they serve us who are so weak, who are so feeble. Imagine what it is to the loyalty of angels to God Almighty that unfallen angels would minister and serve and help fallen humanity. It is a wonder of wonders. It's part of God's providence. It's part of God's grace in our lives. It's no wonder Peter wrote at the end of chapter 1 in 1 Peter, we have so great a salvation in which angels long to look. Friends, they're in all of it. They're intrigued by it. Why? That God would have redeemed us and that he helps us. So who are angels? They are the ranks of God. They're the heavenly host. They are ministering spirits. What do they do? Well, they don't do their own will. They don't do their own accord. They are sent out. They are sent forth. They are commissioned by God Almighty. And what are they commissioned to do? They are commissioned to serve, to aid, to minister, to help, to rescue. Who? Those of us who are inheriting eternal life. Those of us who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Have you signed up for my weekly devotional email? Every Tuesday, I send out a devotion that will help you grow in your faith. Go to my website, awakentograce.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and when you sign up and submit your email, you'll get a direct message from me every Tuesday. Sign up today at awakentograce.com.